This is episode number 42 of the Rising Man podcast with Daniel Eisenman. Breaking normal, baby. What's up, Rising Man family? Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. I am your host and creator of the show, Jetty Azuma, at your service. Coming in hot off of our first Elements Initiation Weekend for men, my biggest takeaway right now is how simple it can be, how simple it really is, fellas, that we are meant to clear the distractions and comforts from our lives in order to get real, in order to see what's really going on beneath the surface of all the doing, beneath the surface of all the distractions that we experience on a day-to-day basis, clearing all those out of the way so we can get to the point of what's really going on and what are we here for. I realized that healing occurs in the exchange from one man's truth to another man's listening, period. Healing happens in the exchange from one man's truth to another man's listening. That's what we do. That's what Elements is about. That's what this Rising Man movement is about. And that's why we're just getting started. We're already enrolling for the next Elements Initiation, which will be in January 2019 here in California. If you want to get a jump on the seats that are going to fly off the shelves, head over to riseyetiazumacom elements for more information and to sign up for a call with me today. If you know you're choosing comfort over your truth, living a small, cozy life instead of taking risks towards a more fulfilling life, then sign up today. Don't wait. Don't keep putting it off. Choose you. Damn it. Come on. Let's go. (laughs) All right. My guest for today is the amazing Daniel Eisenman. He graduated pre-med from Emory University with a BS in biology and took the MCAT 10 years ago. But before applying to medical school, he decided to take a year off. And in that year off, it turned into a decade of breaking normal adventures throughout all 50 states and over 20 countries. He's a self-proclaimed, solar-powered, Jesus-loving, polar-plunging, modern-day nomad, a speaker, facilitator, retreat host, and coach who travels the world in pursuit of radical health and abundance. He is the author of the book Breaking Normal, Rewild Your Inner Child and Set the Truth Free and co-founder of International Tribe Design. And he's just an overall extraordinary human making major waves in the modern world. If you guys don't follow Daniel already, then please do after this episode. He's an incredible dude with an incredible message, incredible wisdom and medicine to share. On the show, we talked about breaking the norm and following our unique path to truth, even when it doesn't make sense, why we will stay stuck in cycles of approval seeking and how to bust out of it, how to bust out of those cycles and break free into our path and our purpose. We also talked about the pathway to freedom is speaking our truth unapologetically and owning it, owning our truth finally, once and for all. We talked about healing family dynamics by getting real and making authenticity a priority and the importance of establishing agreements before building tribe and journeying together and so much more. I'll leave the rest up to Daniel to explain to you. Without further ado, Daniel Eisenman.
All right. Here I am with Daniel Eisenman coming live from Ketchum, Idaho, if you can believe it. <laughs> Tell us about Ketchum, Idaho for a second. You were just starting to before we recorded, but what's it like up there? Uh, I would say it's suspiciously amazing. <laughs> suspiciously amazing. I almost feel like I'm not supposed to tell people publicly how amazing it is, but here I am making it even that more mysterious. I'm imagining it's a place where uh, like people, like probably the one percenters in the economy buy their second home mm-hmm. and then they decide to stay and they make it their first home. They think they're buying their second home and then they stay and making it their primary home base. Most of the people I've met here were like, yeah, I came here 25 years ago and I haven't left. <laughs> Some kind of crazy story like that. And, oh, it is surrounded. I mean, there are stuff, there is some, it's like a national, there's parts of this, like within a hundred mile radius of here, there's pretty much one of the best national parks in the world. It's just not, it's just not labeled as a national park. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, and it's pretty funny too, because most people think of Idaho as like potatoes <laughs> and potatoes are more expensive here than I've ever seen. And they're really not that special. So I think there's like some sort of conspiracy going on and, and that getting people to overlook this place. So I would call it over the radar. Over, over the, radar. the radar. Yeah. So, so the potatoes all this time have been a ruse. Now, now you really let the cat out of the bag, man. You're going to be in trouble when Idaho starts getting overpopulated. They're going to trace it back to this conversation and say, ah. Oh, we, we went wrong when we told Daniel about this place. <laughs> and on that state, and I know that they, I feel really good here. And I feel like by me expressing this through this medium with you, that the right people will take the right action on whatever they hear. And that the people in this town respect that. So <laughs> it might send you down the rabbit trail. It might send you in a vortex of an upward spiral. that might be quite intimidating, but. Yeah, there's some real cool stuff going on out here that I don't think many people know about, long story short. <laughs> awesome, man. Cool. Well, thanks for tuning in all the way from up there and giving us a little view into what it looks like up there for those who've never been to Idaho. Listen, man, I'm, I'm just stoked <laughs> to have this conversation with you because I've looked into your message, your mission, what you're into in the world, and it's powerful stuff. It's actually a lot of the stuff that we talk about here on the Rising Man podcast because so many of us are imprisoned by our belief systems. And, and we know that we're, we can be aware of it and still not know what to do about it. And I see you as a man who's really pioneering this mission to get people to unstuck themselves, get themselves out of their situation and circumstances. So before we jump into all that goodness that you have to share today, let me ask you a couple of contextual questions. Um, this is a new one. Usually I start off the show and I'll ask, what do you think is the difference between a boy and a man? But I was starting to get the same answer, which I think is a really cool thing. So this is the first time I'm switching it up. You're the first guy who gets to answer this one. All right. I love it. All right. So what? The first for both of us. That's it. So what is the biggest belief that you've had to overcome about what it means to be a man? Mm. Oh, identity. Identifying with something. Mm. Letting go of, yeah, dissolving the desire to identify with something. So even a man versus a woman is a slippery slope. Mm. Talk about that. So like, yeah. Oh, well, I think like um, it's very important. Like our language, I, I am such a believer in consciously speaking, but I'm also suspicious that anytime I speak one word, then I'm actually getting like an actual word that's known to be a word that the, I, that the collective has identified as meanings one thing. So anytime I say a word, I'm actually not, I'm kind of getting away from the truth. I'm more pointing towards mm-hmm. it rather than actually, I don't know if the truth can really be spoken. Mm-hmm. 
So there's the, the identification, I think, of r- rather than seeing that what I'm saying and what I believe is pointing towards the truth, sometimes get, I used to get caught up in really believing it and identifying with my truth. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And that could go from religion to culture to uh, sexuality. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, I like the deliberateness with which you use language because I think that that's something we, we overlook. And a lot of us don't pay attention to the words we speak. Are, are you familiar with ontology and, and the ontology of language and how we, the study of how we use words to express ourselves in our reality? I am not familiar with the terminology ontology. Mm-hmm. I use a term called linguology, and I'm curious if they're some, somewhat resonant, but I would love to hear a tidbit on that or what that means to well, you. Well, it sounds like exactly what you're describing. Uh, the, ascent, the essence of it is being deliberate in the words we use because we believe that they generate the reality that we're living into. And so what I'm hearing mm-hmm. you say is that we give a lot of power and a lot of meaning to words, and if we're not paying attention to how we use them, we might be misaligned with what we actually create. Is that about where you're going? Yeah. Yeah, and the real the reality to put it just to recontextualize so maybe for a bit more clarity is when I started creating an app, breaking normal app, and I I'm not the one programming it. I have hired a programmer, and I learned I really wanted to learn about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding, he's putting symbols in certain orders, and that actually programs the reality of what comes out as it's manifested on that app. <laughs> and that was like shook me for a second. I'm like, oh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah, man, that's over my head for sure. <laughs> and can you, and Jesus, like I'm thinking about Jesus in the Bible or Yeshua uh, in that context of I am that I am. I'm like, man, he, there's something there. Mm. There's something there. He didn't identify with anything. Mm. Yeah, and, and same with Buddhism and a, and a lot of these beliefs at their core essence, right, is to associate ourselves less and less with an identity or something that is fixed, something that is predetermined or definite, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's a belief, like just even believing beliefs, believing in anything (laughs) is like, I get to overcome, like, what is a belief? A belief is a word. Where'd that word come from? What what do I, what do I like, you know, what I believe about the word belief might be very different than what everyone else believes about the word belief and same with God and same with every word. Right. Right. And and at this point, if we've lost anybody, then essentially what I think we're saying is that we subscribe meaning to words that we use, whether we know it or not, because of the way that we use them. And it's more important to look at the context. It also sounds like you're talking about speaking in a different language when we're relating to one another beyond words, way above and beyond words, talking about maybe energetics and emotions. Is that something that falls into what you believe? Yeah. So one of the chapters in my book, everything, I, everything, speaking is prayer is the name of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Speaking is praying. Speaking is praying. So I believe I'm praying with you right mm-hmm. now. And in other words, I believe we're in church, crazy as that is, or in ceremony or whatever that uh, is contextualized for others. They are in ceremony with us in this weird, trippy, beyond time and space type of mm-hmm. way. Right on. Well, I, and I can, I can get behind that too. You know, I'm uh, coming from a ceremonial background myself. They say that life is a ceremony and everything we do in life is a ceremony. And mostly I think that's just speaking about the reverence with which we can approach everything in life, even the things that seem mundane or irrelevant that we, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to do. It's like, well, it, it changes completely when you recontextualize what you're doing in your life from one moment, from one moment to the next. Yeah, that's a big question. Thank you for that great question. (laughs) Uh, So let me ask you this. Let me challenge you again when it comes to languaging. I I like to ask the question, what is the difference between masculine and feminine? Okay, yeah, masculine, I would say, is mostly identified with like projecting or volcanic, like giving energy of of forceful energy, a penetrative energy, a catalyzing energy. It changes everything energy. It could be forceful. It could be abrupt. It can be direct. And then a mask and a feminine energy, I would say, is the receptivity, like 
receiving the best of what's projected from the masculine, like funneling all filtering out and anything's not, that's not from the highest, but taking what's best, like the divine feminine can receive that. And I think it's also represented in the sh um, divine feminine as being like the water, the water and the ocean of emotion and how it's always shifting. And the, the masculine will be like the sailor or the surfer mm. that realizes, I think uh, in a harmonious masculine depiction, the masculine and feminine depiction is a surfer would be the masculine and surrendering to the power of the ocean, but doing the best it can to be in the sweet spot of that always changing, chaotic, amazing, humbling energy that can swallow us at any time but it could be harmonized with. It can be harmonized with for the courageous masculine. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah. And I like the way that you uh, describe that relationship between masculine and feminine, because obviously I like to ask this question because I don't know at what point we decided to do this, but we started subscribing gender to the words masculine and feminine. So to be masculine is to be a man or vice versa. To be a man is to be masculine and to be uh, f a woman is to be feminine. And so, what, what do you have to say about the way that these two entities dance within us, the ocean and the surfer? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, we all have masculine and feminine qualities. And I do think that someone at their, like, genius state, when they're, like, activated or they're blacked out or they're surrendered to, like, what programmed them to live through them, that they might be, there might be a tilt. Like, someone might be on a more masculine scale when they're in that state. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think anyone's, like, 100% masculine or 100% feminine. But I do think it is in our biology that m maybe the general tilt is for males to be when they're in their genius state to be in a more masculine state. And that might, I don't think that's always true. Just like there's no, there's very few 100% true laws I can find in nature. Maybe you know, we could talk about that too and about how objectivity is subjective even in my mind. <laughs> but yeah, the male and the penis and the projection and like the go, if you look at like the, bill the millions to billions of sperm that is accepted like once or once to 12 times, depending on <laughs> who you're married to or what your beliefs are around that. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Like the male is just giving, 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 and every once in a while it lands. Mm. And then it's built into our biology too. So that's, I can see how that could happen. I can see how that just categories, categories. I like to, I don't know, categories are slippery slope too. I like to blur lines and break normal with my language as well, as you can see. But right. Yeah, these are big questions. I love these topics. Yeah, I, I like I like how you navigate around it too, and and don't allow yourself to be to be cornered within it. Because I do, I, I agree. I think that that language itself can be very limiting, especially if we box ourselves into certain categories. So I, I like that you're a stand for that and the breaking normal message and mission. Um, and I I also like what you just what you did just there about how you um, the metaphor I got the the visual I got of. The, the man can can give and give and give and give and then sometimes it lands. I think metaphorically that describes a lot of relationships I see between some men and women is a lot of men feel like they're giving and giving and giving and then once in a blue moon it gets received. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm going to sit with that a little bit. So now that we've got a little bit of context, man, let me ask you this question. How did you go from pre-med to breaking normal, to being a freedom catalyst and doing everything that you do? Yeah, I'm, I, that's a big question because it's still happening. It's still happening. I think, oh yeah, okay. We, you spoke about the self-imposed prisons earlier. Mm -hmm. I think the modern day, it's interesting, at least in the United States, the modern day slavery seems volunteered. Like slavery seems to be um, a theme throughout human history, but it seems like voluntarily this time and not even, and it's not even to a person all the time, but more to an idea. 
so the idea of like going to school and getting a job and going to college and getting a degree and fitting in and doing what looks good, doing what's accepted by your delusional parents, <laughs> my delusional parents, my delusion, <laughs> um, like but even trying to fit my delusion into someone else's delusion is like this crazy cultural norm. And I think I like woke up to that. I woke up to that. I was like, this is four more years, like four more years of medical school. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And my friends seemed bitter about it. They seemed like someone was making them do it. Mm. And then I think I just like, wait a minute, I'm going to take a year off. And that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'll take the chance and then take a year off. And then I realized, and I keep seeing that. I keep seeing this pattern of people. And maybe it's done now. Maybe it's over now. I like to want to put it down in the past. These past 10 years, I've seen so many people that seem to be in a self-imposed prison of being addicted to being approved rather than authentically, artistically embodying what they are. And so that's been really weird, oddly inspiring for me to be like, man, I got to get to be who I am. Like, what is me? What does my body want to do today? Like, what, how can I be the most creative? When, how, I can, how can I get myself in the most creative state most often so I don't so nothing normal has to exist that's like my job in a way sometimes uh -huh. um, so I think I got I got addicted to that I got addicted to authenticity mm. and I approval just seems funny to me and one of the my authentic best versions of myself is helping people with that mm. just like asking questions kind of like you're doing right now but in retreat settings and asking people questions to make sure they're not limiting themselves hmm so let me ask you this question. Do you, did, did you come from a background where you were approval seeking? Were you, cause I know that for me, yeah, for me, yeah. I definitely have the background of being the good little boy, you know, not wanting to rock the boat, getting straight A's, not getting in trouble. And I know a lot of people do. I agree with you. I think it is an epidemic or has been, let's say, let's talk about it in the past. It has been an mm -hmm. epidemic. Uh, but so, so is that the background that you came from? And if so, how did you learn your way out of that? Yeah, it definitely was like from baseball to religion to going to school to being in a magnet school to going to like Emory. Emory is like the best, you know, the best school in Georgia, whatever that means. And it's like the Harvard of Georgia going to that school, being pre-med. My, my mom, you know, she has this dream of she's a, a registered nurse and she works with cardiac surgeons. And she has this dream of like me being that surgeon if I wasn't like a professional baseball player. So <laughs> these are like molds that I found myself because I, I love my mom. And I, I think a lot of times in the past, many people, including myself, have got love confused with approval. Mm. And uh, so I think and I, I feel like since I recognize that, I get to break that pattern. Mm. I feel like that's a, a duty or, or, or like you could call it dharma for a lot of us is to break ancestral slash cultural limiting patterns mm. and to yeah and to keep what's working to keep what's working because that's and that's kind of like the sperm metaphor too so many sperm <laughs> to, to have one miraculous maybe one or more a few children it's like wow mm. wow well you, you that's you said something really interesting there man i want you to go back to is the difference between love and approval so how would you articulate the difference between those two because i think that's where a lot of us get hung up you said something there and i was kind of like oh yeah I've mistaken the two before lots of times. Yeah, I think love is limitless. It's not it's unconditional by nature. I know there's the phraseology, unconditional love, but I think love is unconditional. I think it's like the four letter that resonates with the most people for some reason. And I think it's because it represents a limitlessness. Mm. It's like, not only is it approval, it's an acceptance, it's an admiration, it's like an awe. Mm. 
like this is like if we if I if I can treat everyone like I've treated my daughter and I continues to treat my daughter like oh, mm. like, oh my goodness and I think that's like more along the lines of love and approval is approval is it's very limited because if someone does something that's not approved of, then there's a punishment. So all of a sudden, approval is driven by like fear or consequences, or or there it is. It is very a limited thing, mm. um, and that and it happens at such an early age. I think for so many people, that parent like a young age, the infant can learn that if they do things right, they receive more love from their parents. And I think that's a lot of people get parenting, and I think it's kind of crazy what's happened. I think in the past about what's happened in schools mm. and the and the spreading of certain ideas of what uh, parents are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it starts at a very early age of mixing that approval and love, but it's been passed down from somewhere, somewhere probably along the lines of uh, yeah, beyond tribes, beyond like when culture started, mm-hmm. when ideas were what connected people rather than fully knowing each other. Right on, man. And you said that this, it sounds like pressure. I don't know if you'd use the word pressure, but the influence from your mother to, for you to go to med school and become the cardiac surgeon. I don't know the story about your father. Was your father in the picture? Was he also on board with this and, and driving you down the same? Pharmacist. Okay. Pharmacist. And like once he knows, like my, he knows our potential. I will, that, and which is again, one of the greatest gifts, like why I'm more inspired by my dad sometimes than I wonder if anyone I've ever met. Mm. Because he's just so true about knowing people's potential. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and funny enough, maybe not his own. Sometimes I think the best teachers are trying to figure out what they're teaching for themselves. Yeah, yeah, right on. But he knows our he knew our potential, and that was pretty much it. He didn't have much attachments beyond that. So was there was there much of a resistance from either or both of your parents when you said, "Hey, I'm going to take a year off," and then never went back to medical school? Yeah, I think my dad was scared if I went down the wrong road and my mom, for sure. My mom, just all kinds of things came up. And funny, funny control dramas for probably all of us, all of my family. Mm-hmm. Now, we're talking... But it was fun. We Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, we're, we're talking about 10 years ago for you, right? So I, Yeah, that's when I first started. When I first was like, yeah, I took the MCATs. I'm going to not go... I'm not going to apply to medical yeah. school, actually. And s- similar for me. I had a very similar conversation interaction with my parents for me it was about seven years ago and I kind of forget a lot of times what that was like because I'm so much closer to my truth than I was back then it's hard for me to remember what it's like to be in that but I know that a lot of the guys who are going to be listening to this podcast are going to want to are in that situation right now or they don't yet have the courage to get out of the approval seeking behavior and into what lights them up, what their truth is. So maybe you can just relate to what that journey was like or, or speak to those men who are in that situation right now and what encouragement you'd give to those guys. Yeah, I would say do it right now. Do it right now. Do it now. Do it now. And, in a long, I, and I don't want to drive fear into the message to be a motivating factor, but it is, an, it is a motivating factor for a lot of people. And the truth is that I've seen that the longer someone waits, the way harder it gets. Mm got to break the pattern. Like if you're ready to live, to live your own life, if you feel like you've been taken care of, I don't know what the age is. Most people think that's 18. So if you are an 18 year old or an 18 year old heart set or mindset, it might be very important for you to break away from the patterns of the people that love you. Because a lot of people that love you, they're overly concerned about you. They're overly concerned about you. And they might not want to see you learn the ability of anti-fragility where things, hardship actually makes you stronger. They might not want to see that for you because that's in their nature and that's important. But that breakaway is very important. Breakaway is very important. And all, all throughout nature and animals and 
all of it of and humans and do it now do it now because sometimes people get sucked into some like i'll do it when or my or there's a common story that i can't tell people can't tell the truth to their grandma or their mother because they can't handle it or they'll send them to the grave or something like that but that's really not true it's really not true but the truth is that you can't handle yourself and how that how you think they're going to react so you got to learn how to handle yourself when you speak your truth I don't care who it's in front of, because if it's, if that's conditional, then you're in a prison. Mm. If when we can speak our truth to who we want, whenever we want, regardless of who's watching, that's to me, that's freedom. Hmm. Right on. So you got, you got, you take the keys to your freedom now. And the longer you wait, like the long, the harder it might be to remember how to do it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge piece is being able to being prepared to receive any type of response from those people in your life when you tell them what your truth is and, and to own it and to stand by it. I think there's also a sense of taking care of those people that's easy to lean on. It's a very convenient excuse. Oh, I can't tell my mom that because it'll break her heart. Or I can't tell my parents that I don't want to be a doctor anymore because they already paid for four years of, of ed- my education toward in that direction. And what you're speaking to is are, are much greater consequences if we don't answer that call when, it, when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we, I think someone gets to realize like it's a reality check for all of us of how, yes, we are all connected and maybe we're all from the same source or cells to the same body, but there's also this just stark truth that we're all on our own mm-hmm. in some way or the other. And if we try to blame someone for wh- how we behave, we're in a prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Straight up, man. Yeah. Like, are you, it's, I don't think it's a, it's a matter of priorities. That's it. I don't really think there's limits as much as there are priorities. Mm-hmm. And some people prioritize the idea that they think they're responsible for someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's kind of like the, that, when someone gives beyond their capacity, they make the receiver a thief. And this is why I think so many family members resent each other. And it's, it's amazing to me with the work that I do with designing tribes. That's our company, International Tribe Design. Uh, it's really the, the hardest people that seem to be the, to connect with the most are actual family members. Like hmm. <laughs> it's pretty easy with strangers, but to get like a resentful mom and son or a resentful brother and sister or aunt and uncle, they've been that way for years and years to do this. It's I'm amazed. I'm amazed how challenging it is. And I think it has something to do with that. Hmm. Something try to like living for approval and yeah, seeking approval rather than being authentic. So is it, do you think that's just the length of history? that you have in a relationship that there's a lot more ground to recoup in a father son dynamic, for example. Um, yeah, that, well, that's just, just, I think it's that much, it brings up a lot like families, families, business, sex, money, God, these things are just become, these ideas become so important to people. So important that when they disagree about something, it seems like it's very hard for them to get past that disagreement. And that's what I, I, I'm aiming to cultivate not agreement-based connections, not agreement-based connections. Actually, maybe something much bigger than that. Like that when we disagree with each other, it's actually an exciting, fun endeavor, even if we get mad. Hmm. Uh, so I guess it's like a level. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to embody a, a, with emotional intelligence. Yes, I don't care how long it's been. I don't care if it's been 90 years. I believe a relationship can be mended, not only mended, but upgraded where the 90 years of heartache were worth that one day. Hmm. I can think that can happen at any moment with a certain level of emotional intelligence. Sure. Yeah. I've, I've, I've witnessed that. I've seen that happen in a room where the container's created, where the context is created that allows two family members or, or two loved ones to bridge the gap that they 
haven't been able to find together. So I like that idea of possibility, that, that it's always possible at some point. And uh, a lot of it is the, is the personal work. A lot of it is what we do to let go of the, of the realities or the beliefs that we're attached to that keep us out of relationship with one another. So family's tricky, man. Everybody always talks about family's the hardest place to do the work. And I know in my experience, that's one of the places it has been. Has that been the same for you? Or have you found that, have you found your way around that? Yeah, well, yeah, so just today I was having a pretty challenging conversation with my mom and my wife and my dad. And I, yeah, it feels like, it feels like why I do, why I not only I do what I'm doing, but why I'm good at it. Because I have this unique situation that's like a lot of idea clashing so much exactly what i'm looking to help others let go of which is agreement-based connections a lot of like me it feels like what me attempting to break that pattern within my family and receiving a lot of resistance because there's all kinds of crazy things between my mom's came from a very christian background my dad came from a jewish background both christians my wife came from a very buddhist like not religious background where I come from this like, cri- like just not, uh, yeah, I'm the crazy one in a way in the family. And it's just whew, a, lot, a lot of combustion around ideas that I would love for my family and all families to somehow let that be what excites connecting rather than the opposite. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's an important shift is that those, like you said, disagreements uh, or misalignments, whatever you want to call them, can be exciting. And you said something before about uh, agreement-based relationship. What is what is what do you offer in place of that? Oh, the giving permission to yourself and to each other to be to act how they want how their body wants to be like to embody what's really happening mm-hmm. for them as a child would as a child would to to be like a child together, mm-hmm. where it might look messy, it might look sloppy, it might it might say it might be mean saying things that or thoughts that I would be scared to share. Mm-hmm. And making that first, making that first so that we can just be playful and creative and cheerful and, and ride the waves, you know, uh, letting things come up rather than, rather than making a relationship look like something it's supposed to look like mm-hmm. or how comparing it to other, what I think a relationship is supposed to look like, um, treating it like a true growth opportunity. Mm-hmm that we're both committed to rather than making it look like something. Yeah. Anyways. Right. Right. Let me say this. I, I'm going to preface this question by saying I'm totally open to the possibility that you can completely change my opinion about this. But when we talk about tribe and we talk about community, naturally I think of agreements, agreements that keep us in, in alignment with our vision, like a unified purpose. To me, that's, that's an agreement to assemble people, to bring people together for a common mission, common reason. I would think, I have thought that that has some sort of basis in agreements that we have with each other. So when you talk about tribe and you talk about building community, is there an absence of agreements that you're that you're proposing or is it just a little different and I'm miss, missing the message? Yeah, yeah. So there, this might be a semantical thing actually as well. So I do, we, I, we do have agreements actually. Mm-hmm. The agree, and they're the minimal, minimal agreements with, uh, but they're very clear and they're very that's like something that everyone's committed to. Mm. It's not an idea about something outside of ourselves. Mm. It's an agreement between me and you. Like that we might like before this podcast, you were asking me like, is everything cool? Like I could have said, I don't want you to bring up anything about my mom. Mm-hmm. I could have said that. And then you would probably be like, okay, cool. And then we even realized, yeah, we're going to go on this adventure together. So it's not an idea about something. Do you, 
agree that this is what happens after you die. Mm, I see. And is that what? So we're talking about like conceptual so agreements are, versus like operational agreements or something like that. That's that's probably a good category for it. And and what the agreements that I we do in our tribe designs are very between one another, like no hitting, spitting, no saying sorry. We agreed not to say sorry. Actually, just to experiment with the idea. Some people slip up. To agree with actually telling the truth and hearing other people's truth. Mm. Because I've actually got to point with people in a relationship where I'm like, I'm like, would you rather me not tell you what I believe about this? And they said, yes. And I realized I'm like, oh, okay. So I don't need to talk about this topic with this person anymore. But for the tribe designs, we make sure, does anyone not want to talk about anything? Because we want to make sure that we're going to be willing to hear someone else's truth and not walk away or not scream over them or not change the subject that we actually want to hear their subject of what they're actually saying mm. without resorting to some sort of violence, whether it's passive or aggressive. So we have these kind of constraints built in, but it's not, it's not like about this is if we're going to like each other. Got it. It's just like our actual physical, actually our physical and communicative constraints, our boundaries and agreements. I can, so I can see how you're mixed up and I'm happy you brought that up. Yeah. Please bring up more anything, anything that you're questioning. I want to hear more. Of. Yeah, of course. Well, and I, cause I am definitely one who uses the word tribe. I use the word agreements. I think that they're really useful. And similarly, a lot of the community that I've come from has simple agreements. I think one of the places we get caught up is oversaturation of not even agreements, but rules. And, and rigidity around how we're supposed to, quote unquote, supposed to function and operate in relationship with one another. Whereas the agreements I'm hearing from you are the same ones that I adopt. You know, speak from the heart, listen from the heart, say only what is absolutely necessary in any moment, you know, and, and really be committed to hearing and speaking truth. It sounds like that's the biggest thing that you're up to in, in the tribes and the communities and circles you're creating. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to, I'm happy you're bringing this to, to clarify even more what the tribe design is really doing is getting leaders to everyone to realize they're a leader and then getting leaders to team up beyond agreement, especially around the topics of God, sex, money, and just way too many geniuses that are not teaming up with each other because they disagree about some of those topics. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I would. So, and that goes back to what I was saying before about ontology and the ontology of language. So, ontology actually translates to the way of being, the study of how we be in the world. So, it's a, it's a reflection of relationships. So, the ontology of language is how we relate to each other linguistically by the language that we use. And you know, one of the biggest facets of this is that my truth, the truth that I hold is with what we call lowercase t. So it's, no, it's not an absolute truth. We only reserve absolute truths for facts, right? Like two plus two equals four, things we agree upon because it makes life more efficient or something like that. But everything else and most of what exists in life, we, we categorize into this little t truth, my truth and your truth, and that there's space for both. So is that, is that similar to what, the, what you guys are bringing into the communities you create? That, that definitely resonates with me. And I, like, I'm thinking more about what you are doing is embodying what I mean about tribe design in the sense that you didn't, something was off in a way or something didn't land for you that you understood correctly. And then rather than just being looking for my approval or making it easy and wiping that under the rug, you're addressing it. Mm. So what's happening right now is a lot what I actually I mean by what we do at the tribe designs mm-hmm. is not letting these not letting these disagreements disconnect us. Mm-hmm. But all and and respect and respect to our boundaries or also known as agreements, different type of agreements of like these are what 
before we go on this adventure or before we go on this hike together, that we all are making sure that we're on this same page about these certain things. Mm-hmm. So I think you're just clarifying what I'm saying. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's, let's go in a little bit deeper then. Cause there was something else you said there <laughs> about, uh, you said everybody's a leader. Now in some of the, some of the men's circles that I've been in, I have, I definitely have the assessment or the belief that some men just don't want to lead. And let me leave it at that. Let me, let me let you say a little bit more about how you believe everyone's a leader. I, I believe everyone's a leader in the sense that if we go back to the app metaphor, that they're choosing the programming, mm-hmm. that they're choosing the programming and or how to react to their programming. Like if they're using that, like playing the game that they program, they're, they're either choosing it and or also being reactive to it. And I do think that many people have chosen like their highest path is not leading a group of people on an adventure, but leading their own experience through that adventure, even if they're at the back of the line. Mm. So different types of leadership is what you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean the person that's only on stage. Like I like this crazy for me to think uh, some people, even who I write, how I wrote my book, I partnered with a writer and sent him voice notes for like over a year. And we lived together in Montana and just, I just kind of, tight it was just like I, I had to have someone i didn't think anyone would want to do that and i found out that was so that was someone wanted to do that so bad <laughs> they wanted to do that so much and it was like i'm like wow they're leading they're they're we're both being leaders right now even though it seems like i'm leading this project but this is how he's leading his life mm-hmm. and he wants to do it that way so i don't think it's in everyone's calling to be the always the front man but i do think we're all leading our own uh, reality by how, choosing how you perceive things. Right on. Let, let's let's play with that a little bit since we're just kind of playing around here. Let's reframe leadership then, because I think a lot of people, myself included, have a very traditional sense of what leadership looks like. It's the it's the loudest, most compelling, most enrolling voice in the room at times. So, you know, what what else is leadership, or what else can leadership look like? No, that's an interesting thing we play with this idea too. When we're in, I, I think the leadership changes within the group. And what I, I, what you said, I think is pretty accurate. The per, I think the leader in the moment and the tribe, like I think there are chiefs and I, maybe more permanent identities, but for our experiences, it's very temporary. It's like a three to four day experience. Mm-hmm. And the leader changes so often. Mm-hmm. And I think the leader is who can express what's most important, most confidently in the shortest period of time. That's who I find like, oh, everyone listens to that person. Everyone's like, oh, like their energy is like, Yes, we'll, we'll we'll follow at this point. Right on. And sometimes it can. It, I found that some of the strongest leaders are the ones that speak the least. But at that moment where things are chaotic and people don't know where to go, you'll see that one hand just kind of rise up like this, and that person will say something so coherent, so direct, and it, it grabs everybody. I, I was just in a workshop a month and a half ago, and there was one person in the room who did that over the course of three days. They did that once a day. And every single time, it was the most powerful message that shifted the course of what 30 people were doing together. So it, you're right, man. It, 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 I think it is that sense that we all have different ways of expressing leadership and expressing our truth in leadership. Not everybody is the rah-rah, out-in-front leader that a lot of us expect. Yeah, it's like there's this idea that poker, I don't know if you've ever played poker. I used to play poker, and that was a big deal. And I think there's so many metaphors to life. But there, I remember, I think it was a quote from like the movie Rounders, like the sucker at the table is the one that doesn't know they're the sucker. Uh-huh. So like that's, to me, the person that has the ability to step into the opportunity in the leadership. Like when they don't know who the leader is, they're not attuned to what's going on because something happens. There's something that most people are attuned to. when so like you said, even if it's like a little hand, I've seen people, I, I remember, you might know him, you know Elliot Holst? Yep, 
Not personally, but I know of him. Yeah. yeah he came, okay. For, I didn't know if y'all, for, he came to one of our events and he was, didn't say much, but man, what he said was everyone listened, mm-hmm. everyone listened. And I, so I, once again, I so resonate with what you're saying. Uh-huh. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Cool, man. So let's talk a little bit about baggage. Uh, as, as I was doing my survey of some of the things that you've said and, and your, your messages and your videos and the content you put out, this word baggage really stood out to me. So what do you have to say about the things that we're carrying within ourselves? So, all right, here's an example. I, went, I was, uh, I think dreams are so revealing. I, I love the idea of sharing dreams. Mm-hmm. And my wife is actually studying that specifically. And there was once a guy that came to this workshop and he talked about it real quickly. So he said he had a dream that he was going up a mountain with a backpack, but he didn't know what the backpack was. Mm. It was in the backpack. He didn't know it was in the backpack. And then uh, as I, that was one of the things that hit me when I was, one of the trips I took with that writer to get inspired, we went up a big mountain. And then before I got to the very top, I realized that I had stuff in there, but I like, I actually don't need this to get to the peak. And I don't think I can make it without, I like, I have to let this go. Mm. So I think a lot of people are carrying things that served them at one point and they forgot to let it go out of some sort of addiction to comfort. Mm. It's also like, the, here's a very clear metaphor, arm floats. Arm floats are amazing for learning how to swim. But when someone wants to dive deep and swim more full, it, it's really challenging with the arm floats on. And there has to be some sort of release for that to happen. Mm. And so I think it's huge. I think it's snakes, you know, the, you go all the way to Caduceus symbol, the two snakes representing health and snakes, for instance, they shed their skin quite often. And I think it's very, it's something for human. And we're shedding our skin so often too. We don't see it like a, a physical snake skin, but I think physically we're shedding our skin and our cells so often, but also it, that means that we get to do that spiritually or mentally or emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's very healthy to do that. Very healthy <laughs> to do that. Agreed, man. Almost to make a practice or a, or a lifestyle out of shedding those things on a regular basis. Like, like you said, like snakes do. You said ad- addiction to comfort is where a lot of this holding on to baggage comes from. You said that and I was like, oh, damn, I could totally relate to that. So, 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 <laughs> so just say a little more about that because I'm sure that's going to resonate with folks. Yeah, comfort. Yeah, I think it's a good indicator. Like I, so F fun comfortable. F dash uncomfortable. That was why I was originally going to call breaking normal, but I call it breaking normal instead. But fun comfortable is a terminology I believe in. That um, do that, make it fun. Whatever's un, whatever pushes your edge, whatever scares you, whatever you you used to call uncomfortable, do it and see if you can see the fun in it because it's fun. It's fun it, it, for the sheer sake of feeling more alive. Imagine if that was the purpose of life, to feel as, as live as we possibly could in the most sustainable way hmm. and not get caught up in the, the, the judgment of emotion, emotions. Huh. So rather than categorizing emotions, to just get caught up in maybe in how alive can you feel in the healthiest, most sustainable way. What if that was the purpose of life? And do that. And then you might see the fun and the uncomfortableness. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us have inherited a belief system that the purpose of life is to be secure is to create comfort and stability for ourselves. And I think that whether directly on the surface or uh, underneath the surface, underneath the message subliminally, a lot of us are taking those beliefs in all the time, you know, like investing in a retirement plan, doing these things that guarantee a sense of safety and comfort. So the contrast to that of flipping it around and saying, hey, just do something that makes you feel more alive, choosing from that place, I think that would shift the trajectory for a lot of people. I know it would for me if I was 
using that context or framework for how I made decisions in my life. Yeah, I think I remember one quote, I think it might be from Tim Ferriss, someone like that. It, the most successful person is the one that can have the most uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one resonated with me. I remember reading that like about 10 years ago too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And that, that's another interesting one. <laughs> the definition of success. <laughs> let me let me let me push you one more time to define something. <laughs> what would you how would you define success for you? Oh, that's that's uh, you're you're dialed into something. That's what I was talking to my dad today. I was ta- my dad was so he was really wanting to define my success by like financially, like the money. How, how much money am I making? Am I, my bills paid? And I'm not going to necessarily I, I'm not caught up in that exactly like he is. So I was telling him that, man, and I, most people that I know that are you're like that have the money that you're dreaming that I have are actually dreaming to live the lifestyle that I'm living. Mm. And I was wanting to express that to my dad because he was like, "When you're successful, I'm like, what? <laughs> you want, I, can't you recognize all the success? Like, this is I'm so successful. This is so successful. Like, here I am doing. I'm having this conversation with you. I'm having a good time. This is success. Mm. This is success. That I'm connected to what I'm doing. I'm present." I feel healthy. I'm like, I, I feel capable. I feel aware, aware, awareness is success. Mm. Awareness is success. Like, uh, yeah. Can I, if, if, am I, is my awareness being amplified every day? That's me, my, me being successful for sure. Mm. Yeah. I noticed that everything you listed off there were all things that I would consider to be contained within you, contained within your being. You talked about awareness. You talked about how you feel, feeling healthy in your body. Whereas, you know, the contrast to that success is everything that exists outside for a lot of folks, right? Like what's in, what's in the driveway, you know, what's under the roof? What's, what's, uh, what, what's table are you sitting at when you have dinner with people? You know, who are the people you surround yourself with? So it's, it's like a very conflicting viewpoint of what a lot of people have aimed at as far as success, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, my awareness where I'm at is that I'm, I have a healthy concern for culture. Mm. I'm concerned about some things that are, are important for a lot of people or that have been important for a lot of people, mm. including myself. But yeah, that's uh, so I hear you. I, I very disagreeing and maybe I'm, maybe I should be concerned about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, about. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's working for you, man. So let me, let me ask you this. If you had to reduce it, in words, what would you say is your mission in life right now? My mission in life right now is like to be the best I can be, to be the best I can be for me and for everything. Mm, nice. I like that. It's very simple. <laughs> very simple when you reduce it down to those parts. Awesome, man. Well, I want to, before we start to wrap up here, I want to talk, you mentioned international trap design. I know that's something that you're heavily involved with. You guys are creating out there. I think it's awesome and, and also breaking normal. So just speak a little bit to this message that you're putting out into the world and what you're inviting others to play into, I guess. The word play is the one that comes up for me. All right, yeah. And this is a, a breaking normal for me is not having a regurgitated answer for this, firstly. So the one that's coming up right now is I want us to all consider deeply the idea that like competition in its most loving form is what's cooperation. It is cooperation. And we've talked about the sperm and millions of sperm, only one making it. I don't think the other sperms are hoping for the failure of the winner. I think they're all doing the best they can and knowing that that's the best for everyone. And it, like, I think that's embedded in our DNA. It's embedded in our biology. So for that's for me, it's like breaking normal is recontextualizing culture. I think so many people are scared to compete or disagree or be different or obsessed with fitting in. And 
I think evolution and God are so synonymous or they're so connected. And that's something that is very important to a lot of people. So <laughs> let's evolve. Let's evolve our culture. Let's all be conscious about evolving the way humans um, interact with each other. Because obviously, in my opinion, humans have all the miracles. They're all around us. Humans definitely embody, in my opinion, they're the top rank. And there's more and more humans every day. Mm-hmm. They're just growing up almost exponentially. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's figure out how to team up the best we can. And that's like what breaking normal is for me. And international tribe design is uh, so breaking the culture, the normal culture that doesn't serve us anymore, shedding that skin of who we no longer are so we can become what we're meant to be. And international tribe design is the uh, in-person experience of that. It's like a three to four night experience of designing the strongest tribe as fast as possible, specifically using the modalities of music, movement, mystery mystery being if i tried to explain it it would make less sense (laughs) and um memetics memetics being like the genetics of culture the building blocks of culture all the way down to the alphabet language and getting curious about what i programs were running and if i want i had i had a call that came in but if we or and therefore we still want to run them just getting really clear on philosophy psychology communication and that's what we do and it's fun Mm. man it's fun so you do this in a three or four day experience so what is the long-term outcome you're hoping to see if there is one yeah so i'm out here and one of the reasons i'm out here in idaho as well is to look at this property i don't know how who listens to your podcast and who doesn't but there yeah there's this property out here that's like a national park without being one and i have some friends that are looking to buy it Mm -hmm. and yeah I have some friends who are looking to buy. Actually, the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway is one of mm-hmm. them. And they want to they wanna have a model for like optimal living and community, tribe design, what they're doing. And they want to make this the model. And that's exactly what I'm looking to do. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to show like what, how people may evolve by experiencing this type of culture, even for an extended period of time, or maybe making it an option that can be longer term for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to ask you this question because I know that you're also a father and I think about this a lot with my son and my nieces and nephews. So what is, what is one thing you're hoping to pass on to your daughter to leave behind for her, whether it's physical or more culture-based? To embody like her highest energy or her most excited energy, mm-hmm. regardless, regardless what people think. Nice. And is that one of the central components of what you see us building as far as tribe and the, the next phase of humanity? Yeah, in a lot of ways. I, I think and it's funny, and, and what you were bringing up earlier, like being clear on boundaries, like having certain parameters that are minimalized and very clear that a toddler can understand that keeps everyone safe. And then everyone embody their highest energy, for sure. Really do it. Go all in. Go all in. <laughs> Well, this this is awesome, man. I'm, I I really enjoyed this conversation because clearly, you know, we're we're both just co-creating this dialogue as we go, and I think there were some really profound things that came from it. At least, definitely for me on my end. For sure, for sure, me as well. And I think that this conversation about the future, we, the culture that we're creating for the future, the culture that we're passing on to our kids, and these whether or not they're our biological kids, but the kids that we're taking responsibility for, to me, that's the most important thing we can do. To me, that's that's the whole point because there's nothing else that's going to live beyond that, beyond what we pass on to them. Yeah, and how, you know, on that note, I just want to say how I'm doing it right now or lately as a parent is just giving Davina the creative constraints of safety. Like, you know, that's a big curb or that's a fast slide. Like, or don't step right there. Let me make sure you're safe. 
But beyond that, it's like watching her, learning from her, reminding she's she's basically my teacher, my guru in a way. Everyone's my guru, but she's like so clearly it. Mm-hmm. She's just like there's something going through her that's so and it's not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, so she'll go from crying to uh, screaming and crying to like laughing and playing in seconds. No, no worries, no worries. What it looked like five minutes ago, like she's good now, and it's like it's inspiring me. It's really inspiring me. So I'm learning as a parent. I'm creating those healthy boundaries and uh, watching my ch- learning from my child, and she's a genius. So I encourage you all to find the genius in your kids, regardless of what age they are. And that's it. Yeah, man, I endorse that 100. percent Being a father to a three year old, wild man. It's it's about creating walls that keep them safe enough to keep them alive. But beyond that, it's it's full it's full freedom, full reign, and, and full transparency. I'm learning my way out of control and, and constraint to try and to try and manage my son, and more to keep him safe but get out of his way of his self expression and his self discovery. Yeah, true man. Uh, thank you, thank you for remembering a beautiful future with me. <laughs> you got it, man. Well, before we wrap up here, I just like a, a few couple of uh, lightning questions and then I'll give you an opportunity to tell everybody where to learn about what you're up to, where to get the book, tribe design, all that. So let me ask you this. What is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? That hmm. hmm. you don't have to flip your mom's car down that cliff. <laughs> you don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Right on. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Oh, um, truth slash honesty slash transparency. Mm, right on. Uh, whatever, whatever lands the most on you there. <laughs> All right, man. Well, then this is the part where you let us know how we can get involved with International Tribe Design, where we can buy your book, et cetera. Let us know how we can follow you. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so breakingnormal.com links to all that. It links to the International Tribe Design events. If you just want to go straight to International Tribe Design, same thing, internationaltribedesign.com. And the books are on Amazon. So that's the Kindle version, the print version, or the Audible where I speak it. And that's definitely the one I recommend the most. I've, I'm biased. I've, I've consumed so much literature and g- wisdom through Audible that I'm definitely, I, I'm, a, I'm like a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend going on a hike or getting a massage while listening to it. Going on a hike while listening to it or getting a massage while listening to it. Because that's why I feel like that was the influence that I was a lot of under when I uh, spoke it. Nice. I like that. A, a multi-sensory experience of an audiobook is very, <laughs> you're creating an experience for people. Yeah. Or driving, or driving, those three. Those and three. if you can get a massage while driving, that's, that may be the most, you know. <laughs> Well, all I was going to say, man, is how much I appreciate the mission that you're putting out into the world, because I know for me that balance between or the difference between approval and love is is a huge one. I see so many men are caught up in that. So thank you for the work that you're doing, man, and everything that you're creating in the world. I look forward to catching up with you further down the road. Thank you again for taking the time. Really appreciate having you on here. Yeah, it was so cool getting to connect with you. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's possible next. All right. There you have it, folks. My biggest takeaway from connecting with Daniel and getting to dance in his world for a little while is just how genuine he is and how real he is in his brand of being a human. He really owns who he is. He's the same way in his videos as he was on this podcast, as he was before we started recording. He's just an all around authentic dude. And that was really the message that came forth in this conversation was the power and the importance of authenticity of presenting our true selves to our tribe to the world to people who may or may not be part of 
what we consider to be our tribe, our people, our community, and letting that determine whether or not they can roll with us because it doesn't serve us in the long run to keep selling out our truth in exchange for approval. So bottom line, Daniel is the man. You guys got the links to all of the things he's up to in the show notes. I'm going to try and make my way out to the next International Tribe Design event because it's loaded with incredible people and incredible opportunities. So I hope to see y'all there. And in the meantime, for those of you guys who are hearing this message, who are fired up about the possibility of getting out into the wilderness and experiencing what it means to leap past the limits of your comfort and into the unknown, head over to rise.jediazuma.com elements and sign up for your spot in the next Elements Retreat Initiation Weekend happening in January 2019. In the meantime, make sure you join the Rising Man Facebook community. Head over to facebook.com slash groups slash The Rising Man. This is where we are connecting in between episodes. We have a monthly gathering called Rising Man Fire Circles and more things to come in the new year. So make sure if you're not already a part of the Rising Man Facebook community, head over there. If you're already up in there, bring some more men. We love to grow this community, this movement. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources pertaining to this episode and other episodes at therisingmanpodcast.com. If you're listening to this episode and all these episodes on a podcast app, head over to the website because there's a lot of tremendous resources there, all of the show notes, all the links to these incredible men who have been on the show and the things that they're up to in their lives. So make sure you guys go check that out if you haven't already. And please leave a review or comment with your biggest takeaways, insights, and reflections from each episode, either on the app that you listen to us on or at therisingmanpodcast.com, like I just mentioned before. Hit us up, check us out, give us a follow on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. My man Rowan has been spinning out some incredible content there. Make sure you guys like it up, share it up, love it up. Shout out to Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram and the rest of my Rising Man Power Squad. I already mentioned Rowan, Julian, Mark. You guys are making it happen behind the scenes and I appreciate you. Until next time, my people, rise up and claim your destiny.